0: Hello and welcome to the Weekly Watch podcast series. I'm Giles Gale, Head of European Rate Strategy at NatWest Markets. This series helps you to cut through the noise of global financial markets with a quick take on the upcoming trends to watch. Hi, and welcome back. So I think we need to start this week by highlighting that we've had some really quite fantastically strong data over the past week. In the US, the payrolls report for March told us that around a million more jobs were created, and working hours were up as well. Business surveys have been more than encouraging to, for example, the ISM survey from just before Easter to hit a 37 year high. And you know, I think it's, you know, the context is that, although you know, that kind of strength is clearly a little bit of a surprise, it's at least understandable in the US given that the stimulus package has landed and the US COVID vaccination campaign has really started motoring as well. But it isn't just about the US. The business surveys have also been very strong here in Europe as well. And I'll come back to those and more with Giovanni, who's our head of European economics in a moment. Um, Emerging markets may have been a little bit less eye-catching, but they've also mostly been solid. In East Asia, of course, that's partly because the recovery is already well-established. And the the Chinese PMI for March um, really just confirms that the growth momentum there is enough for us to be talking about double-digit real GDP growth for the first quarter um, this year. COVID trends, they're mostly encouraging as well, at least in developed markets. Most, uh, you know, I guess, most discussion and recent pessimism has been fo- focused on continental Europe. And you know there, the good news is that case rates appear to be falling or at least stabilizing in pretty much all of the, the countries where those looked to be a problem a couple of weeks ago. There should also be uh, some Fairly substantial acceleration vaccination rates in Europe which should start showing up in figures you know, perhaps next week uh, or at least the the week after that. Uh, in the UK of course the next step towards reopening is on Monday and um, you know, we were laughing here earlier because there was an uncannily well-timed headline in the UK's Telegraph that Monday will also be the day that the UK actually finally reaches the sunlit uplands of herd immunity with something like 73% of adults carrying COVID antibodies and I'm not sure if that is too good to be true or not, but I'm just looking forward to getting my haircut next week. Um, so given all of this, well, you know, I suppose that the surprise is really that global rates haven't continued to rise and, in fact, you know, actually rates have been doing very little over the last month or you know, even a little bit longer than that in, in Europe. Now, we do expect that global rates will continue to climb over the over the year, but um, you know, really the need for a, a big re-rating is clearly somewhat less acute. So we are looking for the lower volatility to stick around. Um, you know, in the short term, if markets need a new impetus, it's it is a little bit harder to see what that could be. Um, bond supply could be one, and we have some long-term Treasury auctions next week, but. In Europe, there were some big bond sales this week and you know, it didn't really trouble the market, so you know, it doesn't look like the, the sense that the ECB is a force to be reckoned with here is um, is something which we will uh, be continuing with as a theme for, for, the, you know, for the coming weeks at least. So, The overall conclusion is we're really in one of those beautiful moments where we have strong growth momentum, but the fear of disruptive rises in rates has backed off. And so this should really, above all, just be great news for risk markets and that overall is how we're approaching things and that extends to emerging markets too, where we are broadly more positive, even if there are some areas that still need to need to be treated with care, such as Turkey. But anyway, with that background, um, I have, as I said, uh, our head of European economics with me, uh, Giovanni Zani, And I've got a few questions for you actually Giovanni. The first is, you know, you've just um, you've been more positive on growth compared to, for example, recent high profile forecast rounds such as the IMF. How are you marking to market uh, your thoughts given the recent strong data?
1: Yes, hi. Um, thanks, Giles. Um, well, I- in a sense, uh, we don't need to market-to-market uh, market that much because, as you said, I mean, we we had a more positive uh, forecast relative to the uh, to the IMF, to the OECD, OECD even if those institutions have revised up slightly their, their forecast. Uh, I think we're still slightly above, like one percentage point above, and I, I think we will we will keep it to that, I mean, to be frank, uh, the, the the better survey, especially on the manufacturing side, but also on services, the fact that you have all this global demand strength coming from the US, uh, fiscal package, et cetera, is in the short term, at least counterbalanced by some still you know lingering effects of restrictions. And we've seen that in some cases they have even increased again. Uh, this month, in the case of um, you know France, uh, and to some extent Italy as well, but you know I think that after this this phase, this shortened phase, we'll have through the vaccine rollout that you've mentioned uh, already this kind of acceleration through uh, drawdown of uh, savings, through the normalization of activity that comes with the, um, you know, the the end of the the effects, at least of the, the pandemic on activity. Uh, The fact that companies and households are really starting to, uh, you know, to to live with these remaining uh, effects. And and so I think that we'll have a a very strong uh, um, GDP growth numbers uh, in the second half of the year. So, I mean, as I said, consistent with a strong outlook and slightly better than what you uh, see probably elsewhere.
0: Yeah, okay. So thanks very much, Giovanni. We also had some central bank minutes this week. So probably ought to just um, spend a a moment on that. I mean, the US colleagues didn't really feel that the FOMC shed much new light on their thinking, but we were interested in how the ECB presented its new reaction function, um, you know, where it leans against the wind, or however you want to, to to characterize it, perhaps just don't call it uh, yield curve control. I won't, I won't, but, but <laughs> leaning against the wind, I think it's, uh, it's the right
1: word. And I think it, it's the, the way I, I characterized it uh, at the beginning when they uh, you know, introduced this kind of compass of favorable financial conditions uh, as their, as their uh, intermediate uh, targets uh, of monetary policy. Um, what to say about the, uh, the uh, minutes uh, this morning? Well, I think that on balance, they were slightly more hawkish than uh, I, would, uh, I would have uh, thought at the very margin. Of course, they are still a commodity and we are in, in a phase where you will have um, uh, significantly higher uh, purchases of, uh, of pep, as we all know, uh, in the next uh, two or three months. But having said that, if I had a band, for, uh, for this well what this significant mean uh, means I would probably say that I would stay at the lower end of this band so I think we we gave like 18, 20 billion per week so I would be at the lower end after after today's uh minutes and, and in general the uh, the kind of sense that I had is that they are still you know debating with this uncertainty in the, the short term but they are clearly seeing as we are seeing uh this this kind of uh, wave of uh, uh, strong growth coming in Q3. So if nothing else uh, comes up and, and, and disrupts the, the scenario, I think that the, uh, this kind of accelerated pace of PEP will, will last only the, these two or three months and then, uh, and then they will probably renormalize again. I mean, that's, that's my sense anyway from, from the minutes.
0: Okay, and finally, just you know, with our listeners in mind, we've left the really tricky question for for last, and that is that the German Constitutional Court allowed an injunction to stop the the presidential assent of the law facilitating the European Recovery Fund. And you know, given the importance of this program for risk sentiment in Europe, we need a clear view on this. Um, now, how? Do you see the risks? I think we need to take this one by parts. Um, so maybe we should just start with, you know, on what basis was the presidential assent blocked?
1: So yes, it, it's a quite a complex issue. So I, I hope to, you know, to uh, give a clear, clear assessment of, of what I, what I think about this. So. Um, what, what was the reason? Well, first of all, uh, there was this group of uh, wise uh, citizens and uh, a guy from the IFD, you know, the, the far right uh, part in Germany, that asked the uh, German constitutional court uh, to, to block the signature of the, of the own resources decision, this very important document for, for the recovery fund, uh, on the basis of three points, basically. The first is that um, uh, it's illegal, according to them, uh, for the EU treaty to accept that EU expenditures can be financed by uh, debt issuance. That's the first point. The second is that they say that debt neutralization is uh, not acceptable, especially if it's not related to a very specific uh, crisis situation. Uh, and for example, they say uh, the, uh, the expenditure in the recovery fund related to the digital and to, the, uh, uh, and, and to climate change are not directly related to the pandemic. And the third point is that they say that according to the German constitution this time and article 79, uh, you cannot force the federal government to um, face incalculable risks and for example foot the whole bill of this uh of this uh plan if all the other countries decided to default on on on, on, uh, on the payments
0: okay so that's what the the justices will be asked to i guess to consider if you were wearing one of those crimson robes what would your assessment be giovanni
1: well it would be it would be quite uh quite aggressive on this on this cause. I will probably dismiss it uh, as unfounded. But anyway, let's say that there are a few points that are very important and then also are part of the whole construct uh, behind this, um, the legal and political construct behind this, uh, this uh, new generation EU fund. First of all, you have to consider that the EU is already borrowing in, in markets. So you, euro bonds already exist. It's not a new... Feature Uh, the fact of spending uh, instead of on lending is something that okay can be considered as something uh, new, but it's just an application of um, again an existing instruments. And the fact of spending in a in a kind of debt mutualization way is not uh, alien to what the uh, EU does because we have the EU budget that does exactly that through structural funds. Uh, and and other means so it's putting the two things together and using uh, article 311 and then article um, 122 that allow that solidarity to take place in special cases that is behind the construct so I think it's quite solid legally and then of course you can say well, it's true that maybe uh, digital and uh, climate change expenditure are not directly related to the pandemic, but is it something for a German constitutional court to decide, or is it more something that has to be decided at the European level uh, and at the political level? So I think these these two elements are really, uh, you know, okay. They can be debated, but you know, all the elements are there to. Um, to go against this, 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 uh, this complaint. The, the third point, which I think is the most extraordinary is the incalculable risk for Germany. First of all, because it is calculable, right? We're talking about, you know, if you talk about grants or, or, or if you take the overall package, we're talking about between 400 and 800 billion that have to be repaid over 30 years. So it means like between 15 and 30 billion per year that's definitely calculable and that's definitely not something unbearable for the German finances. Even if Germany had to pay all of it, which is not the case, of course, because there's absolutely no liability directly for Germany. There's absolutely no uh, uh, reason for that to happen. Also because the, 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 the guarantee is not coming from the member state, it's coming from the EU budget. The only thing that governments and member states are you know, uh, responsible for is the payment of the um, annual budget, which is by the way, a, a lot larger than the, um, than the contribution for the, uh, for the recovery fund. So what, basically what they're saying is that a country can decide not to pay these contributions to the EU budget. And if you think about it, it doesn't make sense because of course, a lot of those countries are getting a lot of other benefits from that, uh, from the budget, because it has never happened, because even a country that left the union, like the UK, is still paying those contributions. And and by the way, it's something that could have happened even without the uh, Next Generation uh, uh, EU Recovery Fund. So it's not something new, so there's really, it, it, it's. I think it's. 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 It's very weak in terms of um, of a legal, uh, uh, you know, support for for the, the cause of the complainants.
0: Okay, so there's a lot of uh, very complicated elements for to to, to really yeah. tweeze out there, but I suppose that um, you know what the markets are going to be most focused on are you know what your view for the outcome is going to be, um, and you know what the timeline might might look like. I mean, one of the things that you said there was perhaps this is something that needs to just be referred to uh, the European uh, courts. So uh, I suppose that that's one of it. But uh, why don't you talk us through that?
1: Yeah. So again. I'm not the the German Constitutional Court, and we know what happened last year. So you know we can expect everything from 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 those the those judges. Uh, so what are the you know so so let's say the best best scenario is that uh, in a few weeks' time, we have the uh, German Constitutional Court saying, well, actually, you know, we don't think that it's founded. Uh, this 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 case, and so please, President, go ahead and sign it, and that's fine. Uh, the second option, which I think is unfortunately more likely, is that they accept that it, this is signed, but they say, well, actually, we still want to look at this thing. We will consult with the European Constitutional uh, 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 European Court of Justice, uh, and, and 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 we will will analyze the situation. So. It will be like a conditional acceptance, uh, but so there will be a kind of uh, Damocles' word on the the recovery fund, but it will still proceed and that will be kind of fine for now. I think the risk is that then they try to limit the possibility of uh, action from the EU commission that they will say that this is just for this time and there's very little flexibility, but this is something that will take yeah, like several months, and so we'll we'll have this discussion again, I think, uh, at some point. And then the worst case is, of course, that they say, well, actually, we cannot, uh, we cannot sign this. This is not acceptable from a German constitutional course perspective, etc. And and everything is blocked, and so it means that the uh, the recovery fund cannot go ahead in the present form. They will have to find like a political compromise that will take. Uh, sometimes and that, of course, will upset markets a lot more than than my second the second option, and will also take longer. So, of course, the ECB will be there. I'm sure of that, uh, and there will be some national uh, decision, and probably in the end, you know, you will have to change the treaty and things like that, and and the final outcome will be even better, let's say, for Europe. But of course, it will be a long. Uh, uh, a long path to that uh, to that end and uh and markets would not like it for a for a while so but i would say that the most likely outcome
0: is we
1: have uh go ahead with uh uh the condition that they might revisit it and might they might put some constraints and things like that
0: okay well thank you very much Giovanni so things are so rarely simple in europe but um with that we will we will end today's podcast and um we hope that you'll join us for um another weekly watch next week i hope you've enjoyed this episode of the weekly watch please subscribe to our channel to get future episodes we also encourage you to explore more of our content on our website and other social media channels